Revolution is inevitability There's a limit to every man's ability To take shit from elected cabinets Filled with prejudice, bias and bigotry Viciously taxing the poor Trying to ensure big bank liquidity Tell the bourgeois when injustice is law The right to resist become responsibility You see it happening from Kaiva to Tripoli Public unrest, anti-West hostility Self-immolation, pyrotechnically Ignites a nation to regain civility Is that what it takes? Push a man till he breaks and take when dignity When them lift them eyes up, people gonna rise up Burn Babylon, it's a high probability Everybody jump up Everybody move up Welcome, everybody, to the Housing First podcast. I'm your host, Kara Burrell, and my guest today is Matt Malika, the Executive Director of Ending Community Homelessness Coalition, or also known as ECHO. Austin ECHO plans and implements community-wide strategies to end homelessness in Austin and Travis County. ECHO works closely with nonprofits and government agencies to coordinate assistance and housing for people experiencing homelessness. Prior to joining ECHO, Matt served as the Vice President of Housing Assistance for the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless. He has also worked in San Francisco as a Housing Coordinator for the San Francisco Department of Public Health on the Direct Access to Housing Program and at Brilliant Corners. Matt uses his background in business administration and experience working in social service agencies to create efficient and community-focused housing and service programs. You can find his organization's website at austinecho.org. Welcome to the show, Matt. Kara, thanks for having me. It's uh, delighted to be here. No, no problem. Delightful to have you here. Okay, so let's get started. Um, your mission statement at ECHO Austin is to provide dynamic, proactive leadership that engages policymakers and the community to end homelessness. In what ways does your organization work to accomplish that mission? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, homelessness is, I'm sure um, a lot of the other guests have talked about, it's a really complex and complicated um, societal issue that we're dealing with now. And I think one thing that we've learned is that we, you know, we, we can't rely solely on government or solely on local government or um, federal government to, to solve homelessness in our communities. And each, each community is a little bit unique on how they address homelessness. And so it's really important. And ECHO's focus is really to bring uh, leaders from the business community, from philanthropy, from, you know, we have the University of Texas here from higher education and um, from various different community partners together, um, along with the city and state governments to address homelessness in a holistic way. And I think we, you know, we accomplish that through coalition building and, and bringing, bringing those groups to the table to understand and educate them on homelessness and, um, and why it exists in our community and what are some best practices to, to end homelessness for people? Um, and what are, what is a systems approach to, to that work? And so, you know, I'd say mostly around education is how we do it. And mostly around bringing people together that generally don't, um, wouldn't think of themselves as natural partners in the work. Okay, great. So from what I've read about ECHO, your organization does a lot of advocacy work by engaging the local and regional policymakers, like you just said, to scale up housing resources to ensure your neighbors receive the support they need to exit homelessness. 
I have three questions about this. Um, sure. How exactly does your team accomplish this in terms of? Yeah, so yeah, so one way I think we're we're really active with our local, certainly our local city council um, and um, local legislators on ensuring that um, they're thinking, you know, as they're thinking about how to bring policy forward, that they're considering everyone in their community. So not just, um, you know, people who are housed in their community, but how these, how the new, how the legislation will impact people experiencing homelessness. That's a really important piece. And, and a lot of legislation does impact that, you know, you think about just how people access IDs and drivers or, you know, licenses, and how do they get access to healthcare and all the things that, you know, various things that, government does in our community, we, we really try to focus on making sure we have our pulse on that work mm-hmm. um, and that we're ready to make sure we provide perspective and a voice for those experiencing homelessness in our community in that policy work that happens. All right. Awesome. What policies have you guys helped get through to legislation in the past? Yeah, good. Great. Um, great question. So there's a couple of pieces, um, you know, Austin passed an affordable housing bond. I think it was three years ago now where um, there was a bond out um, um, to the community um, to vote on uh, increasing uh, property tax to pay for affordable housing. So ECHO did a lot of work in sort of crafting that policy and not just in ensuring that it wasn't just dr- directed at affordable housing, but also deeply affordable housing for people experiencing homelessness and that there would be access to, um, to units for people experiencing homelessness through whatever construction was happening or, or acquisition was happening with the bonds. Um, we've also recently been really pushing um, the conversion of uh, hotels to permanent housing and the acquisition of those hotels and, um, and remodeling of those to provide and increase the housing stock for people experiencing homelessness. And so the city of Austin has um, just recently purchased two hotels and also owns three others. Uh, and Echo was big, a big part of um, bringing that bringing that policy forward. Um, you know, there's a lot we're doing around um, a ballot initiative now that is looking to criminalize homelessness in our community, and we're doing a lot of work around um, t- um, and advocacy and education around what impacts it would have on people experiencing homelessness if. Um, we were to cite them for sleeping in public places or getting their basic needs met in public places. And so that's just some examples of stuff we're working on and we have worked on in the past. That's great. Yeah. Um, when I was homeless actually in New York city for three months and I got a ticket for sleeping on the subway bench. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that legislation is absolutely ridiculous to me. So I'm glad that you guys are working against legislation that people are trying to push to do that. So that's awesome. Um, can you tell me about Austin's action plan to end homelessness that ECHO is involved with and introduced? Yeah, so the action plan to end homelessness is a community-wide plan that was adopted by city council in 2017, I believe. Okay. And really what it is, is it's a really holistic view on what what different parts of our, um, our system in response to homelessness do we need to... In- to um, invest in and implement um, in order to have a really big systems approach to ending homelessness. So it's not just focused on moving people from unsheltered homelessness into housing, although that's a big part of it. It's also how do we reduce the inflows of people coming into homelessness in our systems? Um, How do we work and partner with our healthcare and criminal justice systems to ensure that they have 
um, adequate discharge planning so that people are connected to services when they leave and housing when they leave. How do we um, ensure that our emergency shelters are trauma informed, that they're, that, that they're using harm reduction and housing first practices? Um, you know, those sorts of things I think are really important. And, um, and it's just sort so it's a big broad overview of, um, of a plan, an action plan that needs investment and implementation um, to scale up to, to really meet the needs of our community overall. Great. That's great. I love that you mentioned housing first, <laughs> the name of the podcast. So I, I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, for my listeners, can you just tell us generally what the housing and urban development department is? Yes, sure. So HUD, um, Housing and Urban Development, is a department um, through the federal government that um, ha- came about, uh, you know, in the you know, the, the mid, really the mid 1900s, I guess I would say it's weird to say that because I was born in the 1900s. It's kind of like, odd. <laughs> it feels so, like so long ago. Um, and it was formed to sort of address um, folks who needed, um, it was really like public housing resources. So it's like, it was create, it, the creation of it was to support low income households in ensuring that they had um, access to affordable housing. Um, and over the years, I think, and it's, you know, it's really been geared towards, and certainly in our work, more towards homelessness, um, but it's not just homelessness. It's a broad spectrum of, of housing affordability, um, you know, across the country. And so, um, yeah, so HUD, I guess that would be the best summation of it. It does a lot of different stuff. It's the, it used to be more involved in the construction of affordable housing, and they're not, they're not doing as much of that. Um, that's kind of been moved over to the treasury, um, which is another um, uh, part of the federal government, but it, it, they are focused on sort of how, um, supporting low-income renters and supporting homelessness um, just more broadly across the country. Okay, thank you. Um, so what is the HUD Continuum of Care Program? Because I know you guys are involved with that and receive funding from that. So can you explain what that is? Yeah, so uh, continuums of care were established in the mid 1990s um, because HUD had a lot of different contracts with um, you know many different providers and communities. So, um, for instance, in Austin, you know we have um, with, with HUD um, we have providers that administer about um, I think it's about 14 different projects, maybe 16 different projects right now, mm-hmm. and HUD did not want to manage all of those projects individually, they wanted a continuum of care to come in and provide coordination for all those projects and what's called a consolidated application. So one application to HUD that would go back um, so that all those projects could receive funding um, and based on one, one application instead of 16 different applications. It just became too much for HUD to manage. And so they created what, what are called continuums of care all across the country um, in major cities that receive HUD funding and um, the and in the balance of so in balance of state as well. So we have um, large continuums of care that go across big geographic regions that don't have a lot of HUD funding as well. So everyone's sort of covered. Um, and the role of the continuum of care um, lead agency, which is what ECHO is, we we are we are there to ensure that um, we apply for those funds each year. We help the um, the community apply for those funds and. We, um, we score the, the projects. So we're involved in ensuring that the projects are doing what they're supposed to do. Are all the projects 
working to end homelessness? Are they using housing first principles and harm reduction principles? Mm -hmm. Are they, um, are they successful in their work? And so that's, that's one part of one aspect of what we do is uh, at ECHO. Okay, great. Um, your website mentions a program called Coordinated Entry. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So in the early 2010s, around 2011, 2012, HUD uh, <clears throat> told Continuums of Care or COCs that they wanted to, um, to pivot um, the referral process for people getting housing resources into what's called a coordinated entry system so that any organization, regardless if they received HUD funding, could refer people into HUD funding. So we have, like I said, 16 projects here uh, in Austin, but we have 70 different community partners that work with people experiencing homelessness. And so the purpose of coordinated entry is to say, even if you don't receive HUD funding, you can refer somebody into a project that does get HUD funding um, so that we didn't have organizations that were sort of like frozen out of being able to refer people that show up at their sites to, um, to housing opportunities through, through uh, the, the, the HUD funds. Nice, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so ECHO also has a homeless management information system that is used to record and track client level information on the characteristics and service needs of people experiencing homelessness. And at least for me, when I was homeless and I was sleeping on the subway, the outreach organization New York City has to come and collect information from homeless people sleeping on the train. They come through every night to collect your information. And personally, I did not want to give my, my information to any of them. And does your organization have an approach to get through to the homeless people that don't want to give your information into the HMIS database? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I think <clears throat> your experience is not uncommon, um, you know, across the country. I think folks are really distrustful and, and, and as they should be because um, we have a lot of systems that have failed people experiencing homelessness. That's why they are experiencing homelessness. There are multiple fa failures through different systems. Right. Um, and, and homelessness is sort of the end result of all those failures. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I think we do, we have a homeless management information system and the purpose of that system is to coordinate care across different partners for people experiencing homelessness so that people can see um, what, what services are being provided and what might be needed and what might be requested by the person experiencing homelessness that's, that's in the system. Okay. Um, we have a, we definitely have a lot of folks in our community that, um, that don't want to share that information with, um, with providers. Um, it takes a lot of a relationship building and discussion and, and, um, uh, an education on what it is that we do with that information. We can't just assume that when you walk up to somebody and meet them for the first time, they're going to be comfortable giving you their social security number, date of birth, and <clears throat> talk about what, how much income they earn and other, you know, those aren't going to be things that people are comfortable with. Right. So it takes a lot of um, consistent um, relationship building in order to work with folks um, and follow up and follow through in order to work with folks to feel comfortable with our systems. And sometimes people don't. Mm -hmm. So it, we will still work with folks, um, you know, and provide them outreach and navigation, you know, outreach services, whether or not they're willing to do an intake with us. I think that's part of being um, a housing first, you know, focused community is that we, mm -hmm. prior to requiring any, you know, certain types of information from folks, we need to be able to house them. That's not true for all our programs. Um, you know, a lot of our programs require 
you know, our federal and city and state programs require baseline documentation and information in order to even enroll people. Mm-hmm. And so stuff that ECHO has to do is we have to find ways to work with people and funding streams to work with people who don't want to do that and provide that basic information up front. Um, and so that, I think that's something that we're charged with and, and that's something that every community should have um, if they're, um, if, you know, have access to resources to help folks, regardless of how much information they want to share. Okay. Yeah. And to add on to that, like, and I, and I'm a white woman and I didn't even want to give my information. Um, do you notice uh, African-Americans being even less likely to accurately share their information because of uh, perceived cultural sensitivities or in other words, an ex- extreme lack of trust? Yeah. So, I mean, our, our system has, so just a level set, you know, our, our system definitely has a ton of on unintended bias in it and, and racial bias in it. So yeah. even the, you know, the system that's set up to help people experiencing homelessness has significant, um, you know, significant racism that exists within that system. And we have to do an audit of that to ensure that we're not doing, you know, continuing to perpetuate the inequities that exist in our community already. And so, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I know for sure, you know, that if you live in Austin and you're black African-American, you're 4.8 times more likely to be homeless than a white person is like, that's, that's, that's an astounding statistic to me. Um, And I'm sure I'm certain that, you know, the majority of our service provider community, I'm sitting in front of you as an executive, a white male executive, the majority of our service provider community is white. Um, So there is, I'm sure a lot of cultural, um, you know, hesitancy from people experiencing homelessness in the black African-American community to say, you know what, like, I don't trust you and, um, and nor should I. And we, we have to start to um, make sure that people that are providing services to folks and people that are um, collecting information and data from folks are, and people that are leading organizations that do that work are more represent, um, representative of the, of the communities that they're serving, the black African-American communities predominantly. Very well said. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, so I've read some of your blog posts on Echo's website, and I saw a post about white privilege and housing. And I know for certain that this, that systemic racism plays a large role in homelessness. And like you just said, the statistic of 4.8 times more likely in Austin to be homeless if you're black than if you're white. Um, can you explain the white privilege aspect of who receives housing and who doesn't and just the role systemic racism plays in the homelessness crisis that we see today? Yeah. So, yeah, sure. That's a great question. Um, so, I mean, race is, you know, I think when we look at homelessness really in our country, it's, it's a symptom of racism. I think one of the things that people, <laughs> as we look at it more broadly, and there's a lot of other inequities, like, you know, you talk about education justice, you know, food justice, housing justice, um, you know, economic justice, all those things are, you know, rooted in, um, you know, racist, policies and practices. Um, yeah, the foundation you know, of America. <laughs> yeah. And so I think, you know, it's obviously it's no different in our um, population of people experiencing homelessness. We have a 38% in our system are black African-American. We have an 8% general population. So it's a huge discrepancy and disproportionality there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, in, you know, we're doing some really good work um, in Austin right now, looking at our, how we refer people into our housing programs and we're getting some, um, you know, we're part of, we're one of eight communities that's part of a um, racial equity demonstration project, um, 
with, with HUD. And really what we're trying to make sure is happening is that we're referring folks and, and housing folks um, at the rate that we need to um, out of the black African-American population in our community. So for instance, if we know that they're 40% of the population experiencing homelessness, we shouldn't be referring them to programs at a 20% rate. We need to be referring them to programs at a higher rate than 40%. Mm -hmm. And we need to be able to provide the right services so that they stay housed. And so, so many times, even if you house folks, um, if the, if the services being provided are being provided by predominantly white, um, case managers or therapists or primary care physicians, then, you know, we see a higher exit rate of black African-Americans back into homelessness out of our programs, which is not, you know, obviously not something that's, that we want to have happen. And so we have to look at our whole system, uh, and address all those inequities across the board. And, um, and it starts really with understanding that we are doing harm in that system. And we need to, we need to stop doing harm and stop, start making progress and, um, towards, um, towards like reimagining what it means to provide housing and, and services to people in our community in, in a racially equitable way. Right. I'm glad you brought up the term equity because I started a 501c3 that today I found, I got my email that it's registered with the New York Charities Bureau. So I'm excited oh, about that, but I'm, I'm, thank you. I'm focusing on the fact that of, of racial inequity in housing. So um, I'm just, question for you. I didn't, I didn't give this, give this to you in the pre-questions, but like right. how best could I, um, um, how best could I help the cause in terms of raising awareness of housing inequity or in for black Americans? Like, yeah, the first step I think would be to, um, to work with and engage, work alongside and engage black Americans, black people in our, in your community, where you're doing the work and where you want to impact. You know, I think that's the biggest thing um, for us is that the voices of people that um, are experiencing um, being black in our country right now and have experienced that in generations through their families are really the best way, the best people to talk to and the best people to partner with okay. um, to end that, to, to come up with solutions um, right. to, to impact their, their situations. And so that, that's the thing I think for me that, that I've taken away and then understand the data, like have folks who can really understand and look at the data um, in order to understand the data in your community about around black African-American folks. It's really important to have them looking at the data, collecting the data. You know, it's just really an involvement of bringing folks with their experience into the, into the work. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, And uh, before I let you go, what is the best thing that a regular citizen can do to contribute to ending homelessness? Yeah, it's interesting, Kara. You know, I get that question kind of, it's more than I, like I thought that I would in this work. And I think, <laughs> you know, one of the things is people just want to, people do want to get involved. They don't want to see the suffer, you know, the suffering associated with living unsheltered or people experiencing homelessness. They don't want to see that for a lot of different reasons. Um, and it's hard to look, it's hard to, to look at it. It's hard to see people in a country like ours in that state and not having access to basic human rights and needs. Right. We're like um, 600 billionaires. Like, come on. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's the, 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 uh, the wealth gap in our country is just astounding. It's, um, and it's, you know, I'll just, on a side note, I was asked really by some, there was a large business that wanted to contribute money to, um, mm-hmm 
to end homelessness in a community I was in before. And they said, well, well, you know, we really want to write this check. And I and they said this, you know, what, what's the best way for us to contribute? And I said, you know, you could just pay your taxes and that's it. <laughs> I love that. your taxes, that, that would go into the communities that it needs to go into. And those communities could use that money the right way. There we go. I appreciate the check, but just pay your taxes. Um, <laughs> so the, um, you know, the answer, the answer is really on a local level. I think you need to connect with people doing the work. I would say um, the best way to, is to find out on the local level, the best, you know, understand how you want to impact. Is it a food security thing? Is it a housing, you know, housing access to housing? Is it, um, you know, do you want to volunteer? Do you want to contribute money? Um, do you want to contribute in-kind gifts, like, you know, certain types of donations? How do you want to, how do you want to get involved? And then I think your local continuum of care, like what Echo does, and there's one in every community is a great place to start because they, they're connected to all the partners in the community. So contact your local continuum of care lead agency, like Echo is in Austin, Travis County and, and, and go to their website, look at all the different ways they can get involved. Um, and that would be a good place to start, I would say. Okay, sounds great. Well, that's all the questions I have for you today. Uh, thank you very much, Matt, for taking the time to talk to me. I genuinely appreciated it. Yeah, Kara, thank you for your time and thanks for starting the podcast. What a great idea and a, such, a, such a good cause. So thank you for your time and energy. Yeah, no problem. All right, take care. Have a great rest yeah, of your day. Yeah, take care. All right, bye-bye. A special thanks goes out to the man, the myth, the legend, as always, Ice Cream, an amazing music producer, and more importantly, an amazing human being for providing the music for this podcast. You can find him on social media and all music platforms at I-C-E-K-R-E-A-M. Thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. Guns, but how we have the numbers?